Welcome to New Freedom Church. Our mission is to be real people walking and experiencing real freedom. If you're new with us, please like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get new content immediately when it's released. And we want to thank those of you who have shared our videos because it helps us to reach even more people with the life-changing message that there is a Savior who loves you and wants real, genuine freedom for you. And if you haven't done so already, go to newfc.org. Go to the Connect tab and share with us how we can best connect with you and your family to serve your needs. Welcome back to the second half of the series we began at the first part of this year called The Pages of Life. And I think that uh, if you would really think back over your life, you would realize that the pages are turning every single day of our lives. My name is Joe. I serve as lead pastor here at New Freedom. So glad to have you this morning. If you're visiting us online, there's a digital connection card there. I would love for you to let us know that you're joining us. And uh, if you're new around here, we have a, a gift for you in the lobby. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, this series is a series that is dealing with uh, the last portion of the Psalms that are what we call Songs of Ascent. And uh, these Psalms were a collection that were saying annually as pilgrims would make their way to the city of Jerusalem for a time of worship. They're important because the, the book of Psalms, as a, as a compilation, is the most quoted book of the New Testament, looking back to the Old. It's been commonly referred to as the prayer book of Jesus, or even the song book of the church. And so when we read through the Psalms, we see the pages of their life being displayed and reflected for the pages of our life. But these particular 15 ascent psalms were uh, sang annually as a celebration. Uh, many of them uh, were, were memorized. They had, had committed them to memory, and they could uh, readily uh, say them and sing them and talk to them with their children as they're making their way to the ancient city of Jerusalem. And today, we're going to look at uh, one aspect of this psalm. Psalm 127 that we're going to look at today deals with the topic of building. Everybody say building. We're going to build something today, or we're going to look at what has been built. And each of these, these songs or these psalms evoke some type of an experience of being far from home, beset by troubles, anxieties, and tribulations that are happening, but on their journey, there is an anticipation about what is going to happen when we finally arrive at our destination, and that destination was the place of worship. It was the place where God called his people to sacrifice and to worship to him. Let's read Psalm 127. There's only five verses. I want to read them all, and then we're going to go back and look at them. It says in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb as a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children from one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak to their enemies in the gate. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, unless the Lord build the house. Unless the Lord build the house. What house are they talking about? Well, this is one of those, those passages of Scripture that has both an ancient and a contemporary application. Many times in, in the Bible, you can read something, you can say, well, that probably meant something very real and significant to them, 
but it really takes on a color and a meaning to me right now. This means something powerful to me. In fact, if you look at the, the book of Revelation, for example, and I know there's, there's a lot of um, wondering in, in our world today with all of the signs of the time and all of the things happening, you know, what exactly is taking place? We can look at the, a book like Revelation and we can see that there was a contemporary um, meaning uh, for them in that day, but there's also a very real modern meaning for us in our day. So there's what I would call a double application or a double fulfillment. And we see this time and again. And this is one of those verses of, of Scripture where when we say, unless the Lord build the house, I can think of my house. I can think of my physical dwelling that I live in. You can think of, of your home. You can think of your family being built. But there's also other applications that meant something to them. And that was the house of the Lord. So what this is called is the Psalm of Solomon. There's only two Psalms that are attributed to Solomon. Most of them, uh, we, we think of David wrote the Psalms, and he didn't write all of them, but many of them he did. This is a Psalm of Solomon. In fact, this is uh, a Psalm that David, Solomon's father, had given advice to his son, and his son penned it lit- a little bit later on. So the house that they are talking about in direct reference with this verse is the house of the Lord, the tabernacle of Moses. If you remember that old-looking tent that they would go and worship in in the wilderness, in the wilderness wanderings, this was the the place that God would meet with his people. Well, that, that tabernacle, that tent was reconstructed and taken to Jerusalem until the day came where finally God's people desired in their hearts to build a house worthy of the glory of God. And David was known for many great things. You, you remember David, the psalmist? You remember David, the, the sheep uh, tender? He was, he'd be out there playing his harp to the sheep at night, singing to God. He was the one that slew Goliath with, with just a smooth stone in his hand and his sling. And so David is remembered for many great things. But David was not allowed by God to build the house of worship, the the temple that he had in his heart to build. You know, sometimes there are some things that God embeds in your mind and in your heart. There are some things that God really impresses on you that you would love to do yourself, but for whatever reason, whether it be time, whether it be finances, whether it be your age, whether it be your ability, you just simply are not able to get it over the finish line. You're not able to see that full dream come to fruition in your life. And David had this same kind of tension in his life. He wanted so desperately to build a house that was worthy of the glory of God. No more having to worship in this tent. He said, God, I'll build you a house. He said, how can I live in cedar-walled houses like the wonderful palace that I live in and you dwell in a tent? God, I'm going to build you a house. And David was so excited to do this, but God said, wait, you are qualified, David, for worship. You are qualified to serve me as king in this nation, but you are not qualified to build me a house of worship. And I can imagine the dialogue that David had with God, and he said, God, but I've done all these wonderful things. I am known as the man after your own heart. What do you mean I can't build you a house? And God said, because you are a man of bloodshed, because you're a man of war, that desire that is in you is going to pass on to the next generation my Servant Solomon, your son, will build me this house. And so this is a song of Solomon where he says, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. And this was not simply by his initial experience, but by the wisdom of his father David passing this along to him. Because David desired to build this house and God wouldn't let him do it, 
he did have within his ability to gather all of the resources for his son to build the house. And the scriptures tell us that, that David gathered uh, great amounts of, of gold and, and great uh, timber to the land. And, and he kind of put everything just off the side in storage until Solomon could be ready to build the house. It took 150,000 laborers to build Solomon's temple. Think of it. 150,000, a little bit more than that, people to build this great temple of worship for God. This is the house that the pilgrims are longing to go to as they're making their way up the hill to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a hilled city. It sits on top of a, of a mountain range. And so when you're going up, you're ascending up the mountain and they would sing these songs and they would remind and rehearse themselves that unless God builds the house, the house of God, unless God is involved in the working of that, they labor in vain who build it. It took Solomon seven years to complete Solomon's temple. You can go home and you can, you can Google up and you can look at a picture of Solomon's temple. It is a beautiful uh, edifice. It is, it is a marvelous building. It has marble and, and so much gold overlaid and everything. It was beautiful. But the best thing about Solomon's temple was that the glory of the Lord descended at the dedication of that house. And God abode in that house. And God was visited by his people in that house. And so the wisdom of the father being passed to the son is unless God builds it, they labor in vain who put their hand to it. Unless God watches over the city, the watchmen labor in vain. So there is this picture of self-reliance or God-reliance. Are we relying on ourselves and our abilities and our faculties of mind to build what God has blessed us with? Or are we saying, God, everything that I have, everything that I am, all that my life has built would be nothing without you. I rely completely in total surrender upon God because I know that if I don't involve God in my building, if I don't get God in the process, then I'm laboring in vain. And so the real question is this, whether we are building something of value or we're just building in vain. It meant something in their day because they were going to the house of God. But what does it mean in your day? What does it mean in 2020? How about for us right now? Are we building something of value in our lives, in our homes, in our walk with the Lord? In those around us, are we building into the oikos, the 8 to 15 people God has put in our direct influence, in our path, so that we can influence them for the name of Christ? And he goes on. And he talks about what is in vain. He talks about, about uh, the things that, that work in vain will make you. And, and if we look around, building is happening all around us. It's amazing to, to just watch it in these last few months with extra time on their hand and great weather. How many buildings and, and homes and houses have been built in just our general area? Just on my, my journey from home to church, I can look around and see walls that have been put up already and, and houses that are being built. So something is being built all the time. And there's a certain satisfaction that comes from building, isn't there? There's a certain satisfaction that comes from work. And most of us work for the reward. There's a reward at the end of our work. I, I can think back to my first job when I was 12 years old. My very first job was a paper route. And, and I, would, I would get home from school, I'd get off the bus, and the first thing I'd want to go do is, is go turn on some cartoons. Because at 12 years old, I was still watching cartoons. And I would get a little bowl of cereal or a snack or something, and the dread would enter in when I would walk up to my door and there's a stack of newspapers that high waiting on me. 
because I knew that in between my eating my snack and watching my cartoons, I had to put those, those newspapers, I had to put some rubber bands over them. And if it was raining, you had to put them in a bag. And then I had a, a big side pouch that I would pack all the newspapers in there and I would put it over the side of me. Now, you got to think of, of Joe Schutz at 12 years old. I was about 65 pounds. So the bag weighed about as much as I did. <laughs> And I got on my bike and I would go to the neighborhood on the other side of our neighborhood and I would deliver all those newspapers. And it was drudgery the first week and the second week and the third week. But when it came to the fourth week on the fourth Tuesday of every month, you know what that was? That was collection day. And that was payday for me. And if I made sure to get it where Mr. Johnson really wanted it in the driveway or where Miss Smith really needed it up on the porch, then I would get a little extra. I would get a tip for my labor. And my labor was not in vain when I would get a little extra. And so it urged me on to keep doing that. And many of you are probably uh, looking back at your life and you're thinking of some jobs that you have had that really the only reward for the job was that you were going to get paid on Friday. You hated the job. You didn't want to do it. You were laboring in vain the whole time. But because Friday comes around every week, you were able to just hang in there a little bit longer. And I wish that we would get this, this concept in our minds that we may feel like we're laboring in vain right now, but if we're building with cooperating with God, if we're getting God involved in the process, then it's not in vain. He talks about this, this, this laboring in vain uh, a little bit in, in context of uh, f- uh, former building projects, like maybe the Tower of Babel. There is this uh, uh, story in, in the Bible where the people had a heart and mind to build a tower up to heaven. You remember this? They were just going to build a tower. They wanted to build to heaven. And uh, the, the Bible tells us this, that because they were all of one mind, because they had the same purpose, and because they had the same language, they were speaking the same thing, that God had to come down and confuse their language or else they would have been able to build that tower to heaven. Think about that. Think of the power of unity, that when you and I get on the same page, when we are speaking the same thing, when we're saying what God is saying about us, we're not worried about what the news media thinks, we're not worried about what what the the friends think, we're not worried about the community around us thinking that we're weird because we're Christians, but we're saying what God is saying. There is a commanded blessing in that unity, and like the Tower of Babel, they were probably going to build that tower to heaven. And what could you and I do if we get on the same page for God, if we are working, not in vain, but we're laboring with the Lord being involved in it? That's powerful. That gives us this outlook and this perspective that it's not in vain. But he goes on in verse 2 and he tells us what is vain. And he says this, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow. This is what's vain is that when you wake up in the morning with the same thing that was on your mind the night before, and it is on replay, and it's on repeat, and time and again, it's cycling through its, its regular routine, and it's causing you not to be able to sleep. You might as well just stay up late, and you're eating, he says, the bread of sorrow. Now, what is the bread of sorrow? Every one of us will go through valleys in life. If you live long enough, you will be served up some bread of sorrow in life. That's just a fact. He's not just talking about setbacks in life. He's not just talking about the normal uh, valleys that we go through, the, the dark nights of the soul. We all have that. What he's talking about with this bread of sorrow is that if you continue in a long pattern of life, continuing to get up early 
eating the bread of sorrow, going to bed late, eating the bread of sorrow, regretting what yesterday held, wishing that you coulda, woulda, shoulda, looking back in the rearview mirror thinking if I'd only changed this, if I'd only changed that, this is continuing to rehearse the bread of sorrow. It's continuing to eat something that by itself, in and of itself, cannot provide physical nourishment, much less any spiritual enhancement. Bread is fine when served with some other items on the plate. I like the bread at the beginning of the meal. You take me to an Italian restaurant, which is my favorite, I will sop up every piece of oil on that bread and I'll ask for some more bread. But by itself, I cannot physically sustain very long because all of that bread eventually turns into sugar, which eventually will make me bottom out. And by itself, it is not physically nourishing. There is nothing wrong with looking back at your past and thinking, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that, but then surrendering that to God because the main course is still yet ahead of you. The main course is still that you're here. We just sang it a minute ago in the song. It said, since I'm still alive, that means God's not done with me yet. That means God still has a purpose. And so he's saying, stop just eating the appetizer. There's still a main course to be enjoyed in your life here and right now. But get God involved in that building. Get God involved in your life. Because it's vanity, it's just vain if all you do is eat something that is of no nourishment value. It will just turn into sugar. He says that his beloved is given sleep. So he talks about this restlessness of staying up late, waking up early, but he said, but to God's beloved, to those whom God loves, God gives sleep. Now there's nothing wrong with work. It's good to work. God worked. He worked for six days. He created the heavens and the earth. The apex of his creation was mankind. And at the, at the end of the six days, what did God say? It is good. And then on the seventh, what did God do? He rested. Here it says, he gives those he loves sleep or rest or peace from the sorrow, from the labor. And I look around today, and if I'm not careful, I can get involved in myself. Life is a rat race. You can never fill up enough things on your to-do list in a day's time, but something will spill over to the next day. Can I get an amen? I mean, you can, you can, you can check every box today, and there will still be something waiting on you tomorrow. And we get so busy in life doing so many things, running to and fro. And this is one of the signs of the last days is that we will wear ourselves out. And that's the the work of, of the enemy is trying to wear out the saints so that we don't have energy enough to get the gospel out because we're so consumed on having to get our lives taken care of. We're building something in our lives. We're building something in our families. We're building something in our community. And so we wear ourselves thin. We wear ourselves out. But listen, God wants to give rest to his beloved. And if you don't change something, nothing will change. You've got to let something change. You have to let something go. You have to allow a time of respite, of rest, of sleep, he says, for his beloved. It is replenishing your mind and your body. It's letting your soul rest in God. It's resting from your work. Now, Jesus made this appeal in his day. He said this in Matthew 11, come to me, All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Who are we learning from? 
We're learning from our neighbors. We're keeping up with the people across the street. We're learning from our culture. You need this and you need that. And as soon as you move in that neighborhood, you'll just feel successful. And as soon as you get this job in that corner office, we're learning from culture. But Jesus says, push out culture, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for, look at this, you will find rest for your soul. Your body gets rest when you sleep. Your soul gets rest when you come to him. Your soul cannot get rest any other way. They talk about the subconscious, about how it never sleeps. People hear things when they're sleeping and they don't even realize it and they can recall it later. It's that that subconscious, what science calls it. Your soul, your mind, your will and emotions, your soul can only find rest when you come to Jesus. Some people are, are tired in body when they have done absolutely nothing all day long because their soul never takes a break. Because they've never brought their soul to Jesus, they never feel that sleep. They never feel rested. Sleeping 10 hours or 12 hours, never feeling rested. Why? Because their soul is so burdened. But Jesus talks about it like this, and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say he didn't have a burden. Anybody who's ever served Jesus, serving Jesus, they'll tell you, is not for sissies. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy calling the name of Jesus. Jesus never said there would be no burden. He just said, my burden and my yoke is light. You can handle the yoke that I put upon you. It is not a heavy burden. It's a burden, but it's not a heavy burden. And your soul finds rest when you come to Jesus. Work gives us purpose. Work gives us dignity. It's a good thing to work. So it's not that we, we put all of our reliance in our work like the Tower of Babel, and it's not like the Thessalonian church that just thought, well, Jesus is coming, so why do we need to work? We just sit around, and, and Paul the Apostle said, no, 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 you're in grave danger here. You're in error. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. He's not saying either one of these, these extremes is the right thing. It's right there in the middle. Do your work, find your rest in God, and do what you can do today, and let tomorrow take care of itself. Do not let your work become an idol. That's what he's talking about when he talks about building. But then there's another little facet here, and that is cooperating with God. So instead of doing all of our work and and saying, okay, God, come over here. You need to see what I did. You need to bless what, look how beautiful that I built this. God, bless it now. Instead of doing that, what we need to do is we need to get our eyes up. We need to say, God, where is it that you're working in this world? I don't know. This this town looks pretty good over here. They're doing all right. There's a lot of gospel preaching churches, but there's a dark spot right over there. I want to go where you're at work. God, I want to cooperate with you. I want to get into inviting you every single day into my projects, into my building, into the house. I want you to be part of this. When I was 17 years old, I, I met my mentor, met Billy Watson, and there's been an ongoing story that, that, that we've shared over the years to where now we can just kind of say one word and we take takes it back to that story. But at first, he had to really elaborate and tell me the story of cooperating with God and using a very natural analogy of this kind of cooperation. And when, when we were talking about this, it was the, the illustration of uh, a ship and a sail. And when I think about it, every time I think about this mighty ship that is rushing through the water, 
And he said, you see, Joe, there's a part you have to play and there's a part God has to play. God will never come down from heaven with angels that have hammers and boards and nails in their hand to build a ship. That's your part. You have to gather the supplies, gather the material and build the ship. And as soon as the ship gets built, there's going to be some maintenance to that ship. There's going to be some sweat equity that you have to put into making sure that it's seaworthy. There have to be a a moment where you get out to see that you hoist the sail. God is not going to send the angels to hoist the sail. You have to hoist the sail. But as soon as you have done all that you can do, you have built the ship, you put it out to sea, you have hoisted the sails, then you have to sit back and say, okay, God, I've done all I can do. Now I need you to send the wind. Because there is not enough wind in your lungs or mine or all of us combined to blow into those sails and create any movement at all for that ship. But God Before we even see it, before we even know it, we don't even know where it comes from. We can't see the wind. But as soon as those sails are filled with the wind, we see the effect of it. And we feel the impact of it. And we can feel the velocity behind our back of God urging through us and doing something that we cannot do in and of ourselves. And it's when heaven and earth collide. It's the God-man proposition. When God is doing what he can do, and man is doing what he can do. They come together, and heaven touches earth, and that is the place of worship. The temple was commonly believed as the place of heaven on earth. It was the the most symbolic that they could ever get of heaven being on earth. They would go to worship because it was like there's something different about the place of worship. There's something different about the temple. And because God is in the building, because God is in the house, the house is different. But when you leave God out of it, you labor in vain trying to build it. But the real blessing and the real peace is in this next little part here. Because he says, and he follows this this exposition of, of this work balance up with this. He says that there is an example of human reproduction. Eugene Peterson says it like this. What do we do to get sons and daughters? Very little. The entire miracle of procreation and reproduction requires our participation, but hardly in the form of what we would call work. So the greatest blessing of life is not the things that you have built on the external. The greatest blessing of life is the heritage of the Lord, the the legacy of those who are coming behind us, those who we're passing the baton to, those who have added richness to our families and our lives. It is our families, and specifically it says children. But that is the least amount of work that we've ever done. Sorry, ladies, you do a whole lot more work, but, but for the men, for the procreation process, Human invention doesn't have much work involved in that. It is a miracle of God. And yet God says, this is the real blessing. This is the real peace. So who gives that blessing? Only God. You can't work yourself into the place of having a strong family. In fact, you can work yourself into the place of not even knowing your family. But he said, this is the real blessing. And this is the fruit of of the womb, the reward of God. But then in verse five, he says this, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak 
with their enemies in the gate. When we invite God into building whatever we're doing, then it says that we will get to the place where we're able to speak to our enemies in the gate. Now, you know that this was written a whole long time ago because we live in a day and in a culture where if you're on opposite sides of an issue, they throw words of hatred that you're a, you're, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a hater, I need to cancel you. There is not very much healthy dialogue between people who don't agree in our culture. And maybe it's just because it's an election year, but it's actually been for quite a while, hasn't it? But it says that one of the rewards of inviting God into the process of this building is that our enemies will be able to sit down and have a fruitful dialogue with us. That we will be able to find something that we can talk about and it doesn't explode into an eruption and a disagreement. When we ask God to come into the process of what we're building, all those polarized opposites that are happening in our day, they go to the background, they fade to the side because what God is doing is greater than what we're seeing on the outside. And I just, I just want to ask you this morning this question. Who is building your life? Is it you or is it the Lord? Because the reality is it should be a little bit of both. It needs to have a cooperative aspect to it. And what are you building your life on? What are you putting into the process of building what you are building? Who's building your life? You see, sometimes you cannot see when God is doing it. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is doing anything. And we have to repeatedly go back to the Lord and say, God, it doesn't look like much is happening, but I'm continuing to surrender. I'm continuing to yield. I'm continuing to give it to you. And every time we do that, I believe there's a smile from heaven where God says, because you've invited me, you're not laboring in vain. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and just, just between you and God this morning, I wonder if you will ask yourself this question, who's building my life? What is my life built upon? What does it look like to invite God into the process? Father, today I pray that you would move and stir our hearts, that we would invite you into everything we're doing, that we would cooperate with you in this thing we call life, in building in such a way that would honor you and please you. God, my prayer today is that you would speak to us through this psalm, through these psalms of ascent, that you would give to us the words of life this day and that we would trust you with that building, that we wouldn't simply just put our effort into it, but we would look unto you. For only you can make the way where there seems to be no way. Only you can do the impossible. God, for those today who are sitting around eating the bread of sorrow, my prayer is that you would give them rest from their weary journey, that you would give them rest to their soul, that they would not strive and struggle but they would turn it over to you. We thank you for hearing our prayer and answering us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. I just can't wait for next week. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Thank you for sharing on social media and please subscribe. And if this message has impacted you in any way, would you just write a rating or review for us so we can reach even more people with this message? Your generosity really does make a difference. So to give, please go to newfc.org and click on the giving tab or click on the link in the video description. We love you. We'll see you real soon.